Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us another Sunday morning for I Am Dad. We are cranking along here. And so moving out of the summer, many of you are uh, getting your kids back acclimated back into school. And so um, congratulations on um, getting your children out of the house Safely out of the house So that you can have some peace of mind Again, you know, happy Get the kids out of the house parents day <laughs> We can give us a day, right? And so enjoy that uh, Thank you again for everybody Who's been listening to what I've been asking you to do And that is as you're listening to I Am That podcast Either on your um, podcast platforms Or on YouTube Just reach down there, hit that subscribe button and hit that follow button because that means a lot to our algorithms. It gets us out there so more people can hear Um, the conversations that we're having around this thing we call fatherhood. And so I've been telling you for the last couple of weeks, I've been blowing this whistle, right? Feedspot, that is the um, monitor of podcasts around the world, categorizes podcasts um, into different categories so that they can rank them. There is a dad's podcast category And within that category It is about 1800 Dad podcasts that take place Around the world And we got a notice some weeks ago From them that I Am Dad podcast is number 7 On that list And it's ranked by several different things It's not just Followers and subscribers It's content, consistency Quality, relevance Um, I can't remember the other two, but there's several different categories. But the one that we're doing the least well at is subscribers and followers. And so if we can get those up, who knows? We might end up being number five, number two, number one. So we can get those things up. We can make fatherhood be heard across the podcast airwaves in this world. And so and. If we could do that, they get the chance to listen and hear from this man right here. This brother has been like my friend for over or close to 20 years. And we got to count back a little bit to figure it out. Um, He hails from the great city of uh, B-more. Uh, in Maryland and he is a friend and a brother of mine and this conversation is going to be so easy because we get to travel around the world um, together I was just thinking the last time we were together like how many cities and how many things that we have experienced together over the last um, 20 years and not only that <clears throat> how many soul food restaurants we've experienced together across the country which is kind of cool it's one of our things we do and I'll tell you some more stories about <laughs> James and I but let me introduce him to you um, he is a national consultant a family advocate business developer and trainer Over the past nearly three decades, he has provided and managed direct services to nearly 10,000 of Baltimore's most disenfranchised residents and provided training to nearly 8,000. 
thousand human service practitioners nationwide. At current, James is providing training and technical assistance to organizations nationwide in the field of responsible fatherhood, family strengthening, and workforce development. And he also serves as the community outreach consultant for the National Responsible Fatherhood Clearinghouse, which is why we have him here today. He's an independent consultant, so reach out to him. Make sure you get his information after we're done. But I think his most prideful and joyful accolades is that he is a husband to wife Delisa and to his three sons, Jalen, Donovan, and Amari. What's up, Brother James? What's going on, Kenny? It's such a pleasure to be here, man. Uh, you know, be, being uh, hearing the rankings, hearing what's going on for I Am Dad podcast, uh, I wanted to be on here. I, I remember you started, and I was like, man, I just hope one day I get to be on there with Kenny. So I'm, I'm more than excited and honored to be here, man. Thank you. Yeah, you know how I am. I'm like, what's in front of my face I deal with, and this thing just kind of rolls along, and I try not to pile up all my best stuff in one thing and spread people out. And then there's these folks that I have on the podcast that I know are going to be back multiple times just because we have so much to talk about and so much to unpack, and you're going to be one of those individuals along with other um, folks that are in our, what I like to call our accountability brotherhood circle. Um, that we've been toiling in this field for for years But before we get started I'm going to ask you a question James That I ask all my guests It gets us pumped up and gets us started Because these stories are so um, profound And sometimes enlightening And that is what's your daddy's story However you want to tell that story From whatever angle you want to tell that story What's your daddy's story Well you know what Kenny I'm glad you asked that Because um it has been some years. I'm, like you said, I've been doing this work for almost three decades. And I came to the fatherhood space and, and I was, I come from, a, I guess, a non-stereotypical understanding of what people think fatherhood workers are all about. I, I come from that space of, uh, I grew up with my great-grandfather, my grandfather, and my dad all within like a four or five block radius. So this whole concept around fatherlessness that people talked about and, and, you know, not dads not being there, that was not my narrative. Um, Honestly, as a kid, I would love to have had some freedom from them guys because they were (laughs) on me all the time. But, um, you know, I, I just, I was blessed in a way that didn't even make sense to me until I got into this work. Um, the, the different values, the different uh, um, morals, the different character traits, the different rules and regulations of being a man and being, being in, in, in relationships and being a, a father was so um, just prevalent in my life. And I'll tell my story like this. Um, My father, uh, I lost him uh, roughly about 13 years ago. And that is still probably the biggest loss of my life. Because for 43 years of my life, that was the do. That was the go-to for everything. I mean... He was, by the time I got to be, he was more like a brother to me, a friend to me, a dad to I mean, he was everything. And so much of my story for how I live, how I raise my kids, 
the rules and regulations that I, I, I strive by. You know, you and I talk all the time that as men, there are rules and regulations to how we handle things. Mm-hmm. And he had put so much of that into me. When I got into this work, I did feel a tad bit judgmental. Let, let me let me say that word that way. Um, I remember the first father sessions, the first men's groups that I was with and that I got an opportunity to be a facilitator of this conversation for men in the community of Baltimore where my, my career started. Um, I often expected the men in these groups to be moving on the same value base, the same rules, regulations, and and roles as I had been taught. Mm-hmm. And that was a hard one for me, Kenny, because I, I sometimes felt weird. I felt kind of like I was an outsider because the narrative for who I was working with was so much different than my narrative. That, you know, it was, there was no man there. There was how they felt about their father was different, all of those different things. So oftentimes I felt myself making a judgment or a value call and trying to impose what I was brought up with on other people. Mm-hmm. And that made the, 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 the start of my journey in this work very, very difficult. Um, and I, 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 you won't believe this, but who did I go to to, to kind of get my head right. I went to Pops. I was like, yo, man, bro, these dudes not getting me like that. You know, they, they thinking I'm this type of dude. They think I'm square. They think I'm something different than what I really am. See, I grew up in Southeast D.C. The, the whole, when I came to Baltimore, the whole culture of that Baltimore city life, urban life, thug, like all that, that wasn't new to me. It, it didn't phase me. It did. It was comfortable to be there, but it was the first time around my own that I felt like an outsider. Mm. And you know that was that was the space where my father said, "Look, the role of a man is to meet a man where that man is." And you can't impose your will or your thoughts on that man. You got to give that man his space to be who he is. And then you move with him as it fits for you and him to be in relationship. (laughs) And that was hard because, you know, I had dudes doing things like I remember one of my first issues where a young bro had put his hands on on his lady. And Kenny, from where where my peeps roll, you, you can't have no respect for this dude. Right. You, this dude ain't—he ain't with you. He ain't the type of guy you. And you know he had confided in me in that situation. And boy, do you, Kenny? I there was so much going on in me that was like, dude, I really do want to just slap you. That's what I really want to do. Mm-hmm. But I was young, brash. You know how we were when we were younger. <laughs> but that was it. So I, I tell everybody that. This this work has actually helped me be a, a much, much better man, a much more understanding man, a much more patient man, um, a much more lenient man to understanding the story of others. 
And what has been such a blessing for me in this process is that my dad watched me become a, a, a speaker. He watched me become a, 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 a leader in this industry before he passed. And one of the things he said was when he heard me, he first saw me, uh, I think I was on a TV show, a uh, 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 news show about the work I was doing. And he was like, that's the dude that's going to make a difference. Mm. And that's my that's my dad, man. He was that dude. I I still I get I get teary eyed. I'm, I'm gonna say it's allergies, but I, <laughs> I get teary eyed mm-hmm. because the the dude really did set a, a precedence for me that I'm starting to see with my sons, and that's where it really hit. These three boys I got 22, 20, and 17 now. Just yesterday, Kenny, I'm sitting at the kitchen table with them or the dining room table with them. And we're talking about men, relationships, and how men should be treating the women in their lives Mm -hmm. and how you evaluate who you want to be with. And I'm having this conversation and it was my my oldest, my middle son, my youngest son, uh, one of my football players who was a son, uh, my middle son's business partner, she was there, she's a daughter, and we're having this conversation at the table, and I hear my great-grandfather. Wow. I hear my grandfather, and I hear my dad continuing the education to these young people. So that's my story, man. It's just been... Uh, this, this world of fatherhood has been amazing for me and, and I can't get out of it. I, I, it is something that just truly drives me to to share those stories, share those understandings, but help others develop their own story yeah. with their father. Yeah, I don't know if you remember. I remember you and I having that conversation somewhere we were at and you was telling me this particular story about how you felt about how you thought you were resonating with people. And I actually remember the conversation and I remember what I said to you because it kind of struck me when you said it, um, that in my mind that you didn't understand that for someone like me who did not know his dad until I was 23 years old. And then, you know, shortly thereafter he passed away. So I never really had a chance to do anything in terms of a bonding nature with him. But I was like, somebody's got to tell the story of what we're missing. Like, everybody can't tell the story of the missing. Somebody's got to tell us why this thing we're missing has such an impact on our lives. And only someone who knows what that is can tell me that. It's kind of like, you know, I joke about this and you can get with this given that the other professional field that you're in. I'm not listening to someone tell me about getting good credit whose credit score is jacked up. Quite well <laughs> You can't tell me about how to make a million dollars when you're living in an apartment. You can't do that. I need someone who has an 850 credit score to talk to me about coming from 400 to fourth to 850. I need someone to talk to me about starting out in their basement to making millions to talk to me about millions because it's not the destination that is important for me to know, but it's the journey 
That's important for yes. me to know. And so I so yes. appreciate having brothers around you. And when I hear brothers say, that's not my narrative. I'm, you know, my dad's been there and I'm like, man, and I'm like a little kid, you know, on Christmas at the knee of Santa Claus asking him for toys. Tell me more. Like, tell me yes. more about that. I want to hear what that experience. But ironically, I have experienced that because I now live vicariously through my son. And it is often reflective when I'm with him and doing things with him where I find myself frequently asking myself the question, wow, I wonder what it must feel like to be riding in the car with your dad every day going to school. I wonder what's going through his mind. I wonder what narrative he's going to tell. Like when he gets 25, 35, 45. I wonder what it's like for you and your dad to sit in the barbershop together. Like to have the same barber now for for him over 10 years. Right? And I've watched. We were just at the barbershop the other night. And every time he comes to the barbershop, Freddie always go, all right, you taller than me yet? You taller than me yet? And this last this last time he looked at him, he was like, oh, he's like, we are, we are. And so he has known KJ since five years old, little, little boy. Wow. And he has watched this kid like grow up and now on the verge of like being taller than him. And I just thought that that was just like special, not the fact that him and I was a part of that experience, but he was engaged in an experience with another healthy, sober-minded dad, man, who understood Mm -hmm. the importance of that long-term relationship and engagement and that element of culture that we so uh, proudly engage in, and that is being in the barbershop. But you also have an interesting story about how you got into this work. And I often, every time you tell this story, I laugh and I hear it every time, not every time, but I hear it often when you tell it. And I was like, man, that is such a freaking comical story. You got to tell people how you got into this work of responsible fatherhood. <laughs> well, uh, as I tell everybody, I was not the kid who was uh, destined for working with families, working with you. That was not me. I'll be. Look, I went to Penn State University, majored in business management with a minor in hotel and restaurant management. I was not thinking of working, teaching, anything with kids, but um, I was that kid who wanted to be a business owner. Uh, I didn't find a good job after school. That was the narrative. So I started this consulting company and I was struggling, Kenny. And luckily, my wife, my girlfriend, then she had the education. She got the master. So she's working uh, at a Head Start Center. And she comes home and she said, look, the Head Start Center is looking for somebody, a a consultant to do a fiscal policies and procedures. I said, oh, man, tell me what I need to do. I I put the little proposal in so archaic back then, Kenny. Mm -hmm. But I put the proposal in (laughs) and the director loved my wife so much. She gave me the job. She gave me the contract. So, you know, first day now, if, if any of the listeners can understand, I'm going into a head start center. This is with kids, man. This is, I'm suited and booted, Kenny. I got the bag. I got the shoes. I'm polished up. I'm, and I'm walking down the hall, coming into the building. And this little dude throws a truck in the class, busts out the door, and is running down the hallway 
to leave the, the building. Mm-hmm. Now, I told everybody, I grew up in Southeast D.C., you do not touch other people's kids. And this teacher yells, grab him. I was like, nah, man, uh-uh. If it's up to me, I'm going to pop this door. Little man, gone. I am not touching nobody's kid. <laughs> and again, she screamed, grab him. And because of my educational experience, I was the kid who got in trouble in first grade for being a little rambunctious. And that followed me all the way through college. So that second yell almost put me back in the principal office mode. So I felt like I was in trouble. So I just grabbed the little dude and I picked him up. And I did what my dad, my granddad, or my grandfather, great-grandfather would have done for me. I grabbed his little shoulders. I picked him up. He's kicking. I wrap my leg, arms around his legs. And I take him back in the room. And I put him down in the chair. And I said, sit down and don't you move. Mm-hmm. And the teacher looked at me and said, that's the first time he's listened all day. And I said, good. Because that's all I got. <laughs> I had no other intention to say anything else to this young dude. And if that didn't work, I was out. So I leave. And every day uh, as I was coming into the building, the same little dude would hit the door, run out, and grab my leg. So it would it would be time. I'd go up to the to little cubicle, and he'd come with me. And then I'd walk him back down to his classroom. Well, by the time I was, and the, the project was terrible, Kenny. I was way over budget. It, it should have been fired. Let's put it that way. But every day I started getting more and more little rambunctious guys like myself in this room. They took me from the little cubicle. They put me in the, the, the teacher's lounge. And I had my own, like, classroom. <laughs> and I'm working with these little dudes, man. And it, it's it's crazy because I don't know what to do. I don't have teacher, But I knew how to be a dad around them. I knew what the order was supposed to be. I knew how we were going to do things. So I just started being a dad with these little boys. And the director finally asked me, she said, uh, have you ever done uh, male involvement or uh, men's services, father service? You ever work with dads? Now, as I told you, Kenny, I was a broke businessman. Mm-hmm. My first question to her was, uh, is there a check to cover that? <laughs> and she said, yes. I said, well, of course I've done it. <laughs> Kenny, I ain't done nothing. Um, and I got this first contract. And, and, and the reason this for me being on this show with you has come so full circle, Kenny, is because um, our colleagues, people who I get to call friends today, when I got this this thing, I started looking, uh, I went to the library to read stuff, I started calling people about stuff, and in Head Start, there was some publications, and a name, a gentleman that we are very good friends with, Nigel Vance. Mm-hmm. His name came up with some information on father-friendly uh, 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 environments. Mm-hmm. Then the names of Kenny Braswell came up, and the names of people that now are like I'm like these are my these are my these are my dogs these mm-hmm. are these are my friends. Those were the names of people that I originally had to read about, hear about, call people, and ask about. Because, you know, we ain't had the internet like we ain't Google like we got it today. Um, I had to call people and, man, it started something in me that was just 
and I'm, I'm, I look at it today and I'm almost glad I didn't have formal education in the field. Mm. I'm almost glad I wasn't a formal social worker because I approached this work from a business perspective, meaning the things that people said you shouldn't do and couldn't do. And you got these protocols and rules and regulations for social interaction. I, I didn't I didn't know those things. All I knew is how to sell a sell an idea, mm-hmm. how to sell people on something. And I was selling these guys or taking over their children's lives, taking over their families, being that dude. I was selling that. And it was working, Kim. So it's it's crazy that 30 years later, I'm still getting to sell that story. <laughs> I'm still getting to sell that, that, that notion that being the dad is the best thing on the planet. It ain't easy, but it's yeah. the best thing on the planet. But you know what? You know, how you got here is so important. And we got to, like, tell that story. I think it is so fascinating when I hear folks just share their post that daddy story and then their journey into this work because it really speaks to why um, you all are so passionate about what you do. This is not just a job that you looked in. Um, the young folks won't know what one ads are, but opening up the newspaper, looking for a job, finding it, taking an interview, and then that becoming your thing that you get your goal watch for 30 years later, right? You never knew you was going to get it. It was just by chance. But when you get into something that is your calling, your passion, that's a different level, you know, of of um, engagement because it's not work. It's that thing that you will do uh, regardless of whether or not you get paid for it. Now, everybody needs to eat. That's clear, you know, but your heart won't allow you to stop doing it. You'll find some way to feed that need um, of serving that purpose, regardless of how much money is sitting in your bank account. You're just going to figure it out. And so now you find yourself at the National Responsible Fatherhood Clearinghouse and we have done this work. We're in the midst now. We're in the field. I want to bounce back and forth because when I first met you, you were with CFUF in Baltimore. And I want to talk about that work, but I want to talk about the clearinghouse work because that's the work that's in front of us today. Talk to me a little bit about your role with the clearinghouse. Well, the, the, the National Responsible Fatherhood Clearinghouse, even the concept of it, uh, hit me early in my career. And I'm, I am, you know, I, I never missed the opportunity to say thank you for the opportunity to be a part of this. Because as, as I have moved, the clearinghouse was the concept of having a place, having a, a platform where the best information the best minds on in the field of fatherhood, their work, their writings, their uh, educational, their tools were how or somewhere where somebody who's doing the work could access it immediately. Mm-hmm. For me, from a sales standpoint, I got to always go from a sales standpoint. I thought that was the most sellable product on the planet because I remember those days in the office in the middle of a fire, so to speak. You know, things going on, a man in crisis, a child, and trying to wing it, so to speak. Like, what is the best practice? What should you do? And the clearinghouse has become that space where I can go fatherhood.gov and throw in uh, a quick uh, search and say, you know, Working with an incarcerated dad, 
or formerly incarcerated dad or or working with uh, 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 survivors of, of child abuse. I mean, anything that I was in the middle of and this be a resource for me. So when I got the opportunity to be a part of the outreach team and, and really what, what that means for me is I get to go out around this country and it's the easiest quote unquote sale on all of, for everybody listening, guys, we're not selling government information. Okay. It, it's free information, but I, I always think from a sales standpoint, what do people value and what they want? So for me to go out and be able to teach and share and train people on these resources, how to use these resources and where these resources are and how this community continues to stay connected through the National uh, Responsible Fatherhood Clearing, it has been an honor. Uh, Kenny, I think you remember a couple weeks ago, I just had an opportunity in um, South Carolina and to have people sitting in a room sitting on every word of oh my god I didn't know this existed oh my goodness I could use this hey tell me how this works man it's it is so wonderful but the the thing that I get I'm going to share this with you I don't even know if I had a chance we talk so often but I don't even know if I had a chance to share this I got a call from the University of Maryland uh, two, two people working there are they're working in the field of families and family strengthening and the young lady called me. She said, James, uh, I've heard you. I've seen you speak. I've you know, I heard about. She said, I'm, I got to put together a, a, tr- a, a, sp- a talk, an in-service. In 20 minutes of my in-service, we really want to talk about uh, how to get dads involved, how to interact with dads in this space of working with children and all of this. And she said, I, can you help me just put some concepts together? And I bust out laughing when we got on the phone, Kenny, because I told her, I said, this will be the shortest, shortest session you've had. And she said, what do you mean? I said, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to fatherhood.gov. You're going to go to search and you're going to say dedication. And you're going to see a documentary. It's about 16 minutes long. And when you see the documentary, you're going to say, oh, my God, I want to have this conversation with a bunch of people. And you're going to take that documentary. You're going to show it to the people. You said you got 20 minutes. Then you're going to take the booklet that talks about how to have a discussion around doing this work and and collaborative uh, 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 work with community organizations. You're going to take that discussion booklet and you're going to pass it out and you're going to talk to people about it for the next four of the 20 minutes that you got. (laughs) And that's what you're going to do. Anything else? And she was like, Huh? I said, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I'm going to give you because it's going to do everything you needed to do. Mm-hmm. Well, this shit lady has already watched the video because she's getting ready for it. This just happened. And she called me back and she said, this says everything. And and I could hear the tear. I could hear. The, so now guess what she wants to do, Kenny? Mm. On the phone, she now wants to tell me her father's story. Mm. And I was like, <laughs> it hits you just the way it needs to hit you. Mm-hmm. Write me a little letter on how it works after you present it. Mm. So we've gone from being out in the wilderness trying to do this work. So I can, in five minutes, teach you how to use these resources to carry the work forward. Mm -hmm. And that is amazing to me. 
Mm. What don't people know about the clearinghouse? I mean, I know they they hear you say fatherhood gov, they see the PSAs fatherhood gov, but they still don't really have a, have a grasp of what it is and what they don't know about it and what is available to them within fatherhood gov. Talk a little bit about that. Wow, Kim. Um, <laughs> in five minutes. In five there's three, minutes. I know. There's three major yes. things. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. You just asked. <laughs> That's that's a whole other story in, in itself, whole other podcast. But I think there's three major things that they don't know. Number one, number one is the expertise behind the clearinghouse. And what do I mean by that? You know, oftentimes people will go to a website or they'll go somewhere to get info, and they just know they they see the basics, or they see they, the breadth of expertise that has gone into everything that's in the clearinghouse is unprecedented. So that's the first thing. If anybody's doing this work, the first thing you need to know about the clearinghouse is everything you can think about, about fatherhood has been touched on in some way, shape, or form at fatherhood.gov. There's a resource and it dates back years. So it's historical as well as current. So that's the first thing. They got to know that the expertise that behind this, that's running this, that's putting it all together, it's there. So that's number one. Number two is people just don't know how, how to use what's there. When they find it, a lot of times it's so much information that they do the cursory glance. You know how the cursory glance goes, Kenny. You look at a website, you click about, you click our uh, history, you click, and you do the click, click through, and you go, okay, great. And if you do that at fatherhood.gov, you are not going to get one iota of what's there. So it is somewhere where it's sort of, I hate to say, it's like going to a museum. You got to walk through it. You got to read everything. You got to go to every section and look at things and, 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 and touch and feel it and watch a video and read a, a brief. And so you got to, so people don't really know uh, uh, how to use or how to get the, the vast knowledge. And that's why I'm so glad to be a part of the outreach team because we get to teach that. Um, the third thing is, and this is hard to say, but it's, I don't want people to think that when you hear something that's been given by the government, that there's a political slant to it. Mm. I really want that to come across. This is not a political slant. Just because it's coming from our government uh, uh, space, it is truly a uh, how they say it can't bipartisan no it's, it's truly a space where politics is not in the flow of it mm-hmm. and I want people to know that because sometimes when you say gov.gov you get a whole population of people say ah mm-hmm. can't deal with that because of the what they think are the political affiliations that may drive it. So if, if I had nothing else to say, those are the three things that, you know, the, the expertise and the breath behind it, 
Uh, number two, how much is really there and how to use it. And then number three, it's not driven by politics, although it comes from the government. Those are three things I feel are probably most prevalent for people to understand, to be able to use fatherhood.gov the way they need to. Yeah, no, you use the word bipartisan, and I would say that it is nonpartisan. To any one thing That it is it. Really if it is partial to one thing It is partial to fatherhood It is about it. fatherhood It is for fatherhood It is with an eye towards Strengthening fatherhood So that we can strengthen You know our motto at Fathers Incorporated Strengthen families one father at a time you know, it's yep. we're not going to do it all at once. We really got to do it in a way that we're touching hearts, that we're touching minds, that we're touching people one at a time. To your point, um, just like your grandfather said, you got to come at you got to hit them where they're at. Like, where are they? You know, and these dads are all over the place. They really are all over the place. And so what you give them and what you present to them has to be fluid in a way that they can absorb it. And feel like it's part of them as opposed to something coming at them. And that has been the beauty of, you know, managing the Clearinghouse Fathers Incorporated for the last, you know, going on 13 years. And, you know, we've been locked arm in arm doing this around the country, in every corner of the country, in every community you can imagine, with every kind of dad you can imagine. With every uh, philosophical framework you can imagine And literally no matter what those things are And how they come at the end of the day We're just talking about being a father Being a parent to your child You can absorb and shift and, 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 and filter All that other stuff you got to deal with in your household But what we're talking about right here Is this soul word responsibility As a father are you responsible in the context to which you culturally engage, spiritually engage, emotionally engage, and physically engage? What does that look like for you? Because at the end of the day, we are only concerned, not only concerned, but mainly concerned about one thing, and that is the healthy well-being of our children and our communities. Yes. And that also means taking care of and paying attention to those issues that are also impacting moms and how can dads play a role and even through their fatherhood strengthening um, the mothers of our children, you know, through mechanisms of relationships and co-parenting and, and all of the things that we have to do together, right, as parents to raise these children. What have you seen in the space that has been uh, the most difficult thing to figure out um, how to help with? So, as I said, you know, the, the most difficult part of this is to know that because we're focused on fathers, it's not negating mothers. That has been that argument. You know, why do men need this? What Look, if we are thinking about the child, and, and that's what all of the work, all of the services that we, we, we talk to about this, this fatherhood uh, message, this fatherhood there, it's all in reference to help children have a better experience. Mm -hmm. 
So understanding that the male perspective, the, the father perspective is different. I think I was shaming my, my wife and I, you know, I, I let her know every time she, she doesn't have the same guard up when the police car rides by, mm-hmm. when I'm out. She doesn't have the same. I have my perspective from Southeast DC to where I am today. What I've seen, what I've been through, I have a perspective. Right, wrong, and different, negative, positive, I have a perspective. And for me to get comfortable, for you to grow me into a person that can comfortably be in that space with, with police officers, You've got to understand my perspective. You can't say, well, you should know I shouldn't mm-hmm. because this is my perspective. Let me have that. And that's what we what fatherhood is. Fatherhood.gov, this, this narrative is, no, we're not saying this is daddy without mommy. No, this is getting daddy to be the best daddy he can be. And in that space, let us speak to the daddy narrative. Let us speak to men's way to come to the conversation, men's way to understand. And it comes from a lot of different directions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in this space, the, the difficulty is please allow us the space to deal with daddy. It does not mean that we don't want mom. You will never hear a man say, I don't need women. That, that ain't how men are built. <laughs> Why? You know? Yeah. That is that. So, so please be clear. I'm a daddy of three boys. Oh my God, do I need that woman that's their mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people all the time, if she leave me, I'm going with her. It is no way she getting away from me in this process. But that is... That is probably the most difficult part to, to really get the narrative to understand for everybody to hear. It's not daddies, no mommies. It's the best daddies with the best mommies. So kids are okay. What's the and most joyful thing that has happened to you in your entire fatherhood space? What's that thing that just you remember? It still tweaks your heart. What's the most joyful thing you've experienced um, doing this work? Doing this work. Kenny, I, I know there's a lot. Man, you got to pick one. There's so many. I'm, I'm going to give you. I'm, I need. I want to think about that because there. I don't want to just jump into that thought because there are so many things that have happened in this journey. And let me let me use this one. Um, and it's happened to me. It wasn't really me doing the work for somebody else. But one of the people that have been so instrumental in my career in this work is a gentleman by the name of Moses Hammond. Shout out to my brother Moses. Um, and Moses is the work that we were doing. You, you said the CFUF. That's where me and him met. And he was he was in a supervisory role for me. And I, I did a lot of work there with uh, uh Workforce development, fatherhood, all of that. So I'm doing the work, and we have become so close over the years. He was like a dad to me, and I was expecting my first child. And he was walking the journey with me. My dad was—I'm in Baltimore. My dad's in DC. Was in DC. So you know, the day-to-day routine of starting to ask questions about fatherhood was with with Moses. 
and he had three boys. It's just wow how there I got three boys. But um, and we talking. So I told him I said, "Hey man, we got a doctor's appointment, six month doctor's appointment. Wanted me to leave some roll out." He said, "Go ahead, man. Enjoy yourself." Um, so I leave the office and I go meet my wife, and the most devastating thing ever hit me. Well, one of them. They go to do the ultrasound, no heartbeat. We six months into this pregnancy, no heartbeat. Rush my wife back, and now they hooked him up and all of this. And you know, Kenny, that that point where in the movie the person dies, but you want them to come back like Matrix. Mm. You know how when Neil is Hold and she dies, and you want somebody to put the hand in there, and they come. That ain't how that ain't how life work. I found that out right then and there, because the the doctor said we have no beat, there's no pulse, the baby's deceased, and I, I'm I'm like really sitting there, and it sounds great. I'm sitting there like, dude, do something and bring my kid back. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing, so I called my dad. I'm, I'm, I'm told, I called my dad. He said I'm on my way, so he's got to come about an hour ride. So I, I got to go to my house. My wife's house. So I got to go to the house pick up some stuff. So I leave the hospital and I drive by the office, and it's seven eight o'clock at night. Nobody should be in the office. I drive by the office. And the light is on over the door and there's a silhouette in the door. So I stop and as I walk up the steps, I see that silhouette is Moses. And I don't know how this man knew this. And I'm I'm tearing up because he was standing there and in true father fashion, he just opened his arms. And I collapsed in this man's arms and I told him what was going on and how I was. And he took the place of dad Mm -hmm. for me until my dad could get there. Mm -hmm. Kenny, that experience is what drives me in this business. Mm -hmm. That I could be there for another man with emotions and being able to tell them it's going to be okay and, and let it out and, and it, it was one of those times where I started to understand that my emotions are okay Why? It, it's okay to hurt it's okay to, to sniffle it's okay to let it like it's coming out now it's okay strong man you're not a weak man because you hurt mm-hmm. and he just was there and he, he, he rode with me to my house and he wrote back to the uh, to the to the hospital with me. And when my dad showed up, when my dad got there, my dad and Moses were tight. When my dad got there, it was like Moses. It, I didn't even see him leave. Mm. I didn't even see him leave the hospital. It was almost like he just. <laughs> and I was like, that has been probably the most endearing so it wasn't me doing the work but it was me having the work done for me Mm. and that's what drove me to do this even better because 
that whole piece, now I, I got that in my narrative of fatherhood, losing my first child. Wow. So now I, I get to talk to fathers about, man, please understand how important it is to be connected to your child, because what if you lose it? Right. Wow. Yeah. So that, that was the most endearing. That, that's the most impactful time in this work. Yeah. The only thing I can think about as it relates to Moses in my head is that's what angels do. Yeah. Yeah. That's what angels yeah. do. Um, and it, so, and it's funny they had the name Moses. I know. I was, I was trying to get that narrative out of my head. But the angel thing is that's what angels do. They show up when you need when you need them and when you don't need them, they kind of fade out. They just they just they, they let you move on. Man, yeah. we can't top that. So all we can do now is just tell people how to get in touch with father.gov. <laughs> Ain't going to try to top that. We're going to ease on out of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for everybody, guys, there's, a, there's something. one eight seven seven one eight seven seven four dad dad four one one for dad information. Um, I, I was... Th- Kenny, over the 13 years, 15 years, I don't know how long I've been around uh, fatherhood.gov, but that phone number is something I give out regularly. Um, You know, uh, we both have children who are athletes and we are probably what they call the sports dads. Um, And being in in a coaching where where I I coach football, high school, football league, all of that, it has given me another outlet to talk to men about fatherhood. Mm-hmm. And I give that information out, one eight seven seven four the number four, dad, D-A-D, 411. I give that number out regularly because that is the easiest entree into the world of the National Responsible Fatherhood Clearinghouse that anyone can have. And I, I want people to know that moms call it, grandmas call it, aunts, uncles, uh, uh, mothers, fathers, anybody can call, but it's intentionally set up. See, again, it's not exclusive, exclusive. It's intentionally set up to give men the understanding that it's for you to call dad, but anybody can call it. Mm. And, and, you know, we know the numbers. It's amazing how many nanas, grandmas call. Yes. Because, you know, grandmas don't care about who is full. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Nannas don't care. They they going to walk into a store that it, it could say men only. If it's something that she need, a nana going to walk in and look for it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what we seen with the number. A nana will call. <laughs> but with men, and, and this is part of what we teach, men don't go where men not want it. We're not going to fight you for the pants to the house. You know, we're not going to fight you to wear the pants in the house. We're just going to go to another house. We're not going to fight to be in the beauty parlor. If that, that ain't for us, that, I will walk right around it. It's just that's a man's domain of how they move. It's like lions. They move a certain way. Right. So um, that, that, that number, and, and, and I can't say it enough, but that number is clearly the first entree for my professionals who do the work and want the resources. The first entree is probably fatherhood.gov. Mm. Um, and 
I beg everybody who does any work with families who are going to uh, intentionally work with dads, spend some time at fatherhood.gov, please. Because the other side of the narrative, the difficulty, Kenny, is people doing the work that aren't clearly understanding what the work is and their implicit bias or their story hindering the work. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. fatherhood.gov for our practitioners. Thank you for that, man. And thank you for you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your brotherhood. Um, thank you for your commitment. Thank you for everything you are, James Worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. And so, thank you, my brother. Um, and I am so excited always to continue to labor in this field with you as we continue to make an impact in this space all around the country. And I also want to thank all of my I Am Dad podcast listeners um, for tuning in another Sunday morning or whenever you happen to be listening to me right now, whether or not you're on YouTube. Or on a podcast platform Again please do me a favor Subscribe, follow so that we can get Those numbers up um, Continue to share us on social media Talk about the stories We're going to be doing some things going down the line To really kind of elevate these conversations In a way that we can start feeding People with some of the great quotes And the great smaller segments Of the shows that we have created Over the last now going on Year and so you know how I like to leave you. Always be kind to others as you're kind to yourself or you might find yourself by yourself. Always shoot high for your goals because even if you miss, you'll be amongst the stars. And as my good friend and mentor, Art Mitchell, used to always say to me, it's nice to be important, but you know what? It's more important to be nice. Until next Sunday, God bless. Ain't nothing you can do about it. And peace out. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time. I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period. period.